our faith is our own, that we trust in Christ, we know Christ. And we may learn that through our parents, we may learn that through siblings, we may learn it through friends, we may learn it in youth group or in children's ministry. There's any wide variety of ways that we hear the message of hope that's in Christ. But ultimately, each and every single one of us individually has to make that decision to trust and to have faith in God. And remembering that allows us to look forward to what God's going to do. That he has been faithful in that moment when we first trusted him. He will be continually faithful in our lives as we live out our lives. And we go back to scripture to see the stories. In this particular case, in the book of Acts, the stories of the originating founding church as it's brand new and fledgling in its faith, just met Jesus over a matter of weeks and already growing and impacting and changing people's lives. Again, to remind us, God was faithful then, God is faithful now, and he will be faithful in our future and in the future of others. So we're in Acts chapter three, looking at that faithfulness. This is a relatively long narrative, but to get the gist of the story, I'm gonna actually take the time to read the story. I encourage you to read along with me. Acts chapter three, it starts in verse one. Either on your Bible, we have Bibles in the seats in front of you. Um, if you're young enough to read the print, if you're like me, you need a little assistance, go to the YouVersion Bible app under events in the more section, you'll find the actual notes for today. And the entire passage of scripture is included in those notes so that you can hear, listen, read, and absorb this story. This is after Pentecost, after the, the formation, the starting of the church, so to speak. Peter and John were going up to the temple for the time of prayer at three in the afternoon, which is, in most translations, at the ninth hour. A man who was lame from birth was being carried there. He was placed each day at the temple gate called Beautiful, and so that he could beg from those entering the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter the temple, he asked for money. Peter, along with John, looked straight at him and said, look at us. So he turned to them, expecting to get something from them. But Peter said, I don't have silver or gold. But what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. Then taking him by the right hand, he raised him up. And at once, his feet and ankles became strong. So he jumped up and started to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. All the people saw him walking and praising God, and they recognized that he was the one who used to sit and beg at the beautiful gate of the temple. So they were filled with awe and astonishment at what had happened. While he, that is the lame man who was healed, was holding on to Peter and John. All the people, utterly astonished, ran towards them in what is called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he addressed the people, fellow Israelites, why are you amazed at this? Why do you stare at us as though we made him walk by our own power, our godliness? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our ancestors, has glorified his servant Jesus, whom you handed over and denied before Pilate, though he, had, though he had decided to release him. You denied the holy and righteous one and asked to have a murderer released to you. You killed the source of life, whom God raised from the dead, and we are witnesses of this. By faith in his name, he has made this man strong, whom you see 
and know. So the faith that comes through Jesus has given him his perfect health in front of all of you. And now, brothers and sisters, I know that you acted in ignorance just as your leaders did. In this way, God fulfilled what he had predicted through all the prophets that his Messiah would suffer. Therefore, repent and turn back so that your sins may be wiped out. The seasons, that seasons of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. And that he may send Jesus, who was a, has been appointed for you as the Messiah. Heaven must receive him until the time of restoration of all things, which God spoke about through his holy prophets from the very beginning. And Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me among your brothers. You must listen to everything he tells you. And everyone who does not listen to that prophet will be completely cut off from the people. In addition, all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those after him have also foretold these days. You are the sons, the heirs of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your ancestors, saying to Abraham and all the families of the earth will be blessed through your offspring. God raised up his servant Jesus and sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your evil ways. This is a juncture in history. The Jews have waited. All the prophecies, as Peter points out, have, have been spoken and are now being fulfilled. They have anticipated this moment. They were looking forward to this moment. They had spent the majority of their life, many of them learning from their fathers and their grandfathers and their parents and their grandparents for multiple generations, hearing the stories of the Messiah, hearing the hope of the Messiah, hearing the new life and the, the opportunities that will be available to be in relationship with God in an intimate fashion and know him as he knows us. And Jesus becomes clearly, evidentially, that Messiah in his ministry and even in his death, his crucifixion, and of course, obviously, in his resurrection. And the birth of Christianity takes place and the birth of the Christian church takes place and the message of Jesus begins changing and transforming lives. But sometimes we need physical evidence of what happens internally. And in this beautiful story, as Peter is headed to the temple, they're going to do the same thing they've been doing all of their lives. They're going to go pray at the time of prayer. They're going to do it in the temple for this first part of the book of Acts until the church spreads and goes to the Gentiles and others outside the Jewish region. They're going there to pray. And God has in store a miracle that demonstrates the transformation of a heart physically. And as they arrive, we're faced, as this story plays out, we're faced with the necessity to overcome the disadvantage. The disadvantage is on both sides. We have a man who has been lame from birth. We believe um, from all the surrounding information we can get on this passage of scripture that this is probably over 40 years. For over 40 years, he's been completely crippled and unable to be a productive part of society facing the stigma and all the questions and all the issues related to his disadvantage, to his disability. In a culture that is not at all like our culture, that oftentimes even favors and helps those who need assistance. In a culture that renders you to the only possible option for basic sustenance 
is begging. And so family or friends every day picks him up at his house, carries him to the edge of the temple, to what is called in in the book of Acts, the beautiful gate, which most of us believe is probably the Corinthian gate. And they place him there so that as worshipers come, he can beg. And they might, in that moment of potentially feeling a little more generous, give out of their excess what they have, probably pocket change, what we would refer to today, that he could have some sustenance, some life with absolutely zero anticipation of that scenario changing. There is absolutely no reason this man can expect that tomorrow is any different from today. There's no reason he should expect that next week is any different from last week or the next month or the next year. This is his life as he knows it. But God's about to demonstrate that he is beyond our timelines and he is beyond our expectations. And through Jesus, we can overcome the disadvantage. Now here, Peter coming to the temple along with John to just simply pray. And they see the scenario. Now in all reality, they have probably seen the scenario multiple times over and over and over again. With no anticipation that they can do anything about it. No expectation that they have the resources to do anything about it. No no sense of comprehension that for them today, three o'clock in the afternoon, going to the temple to pray as they do every other day of the week, that anything's going to be different. But God's about to move in their lives and let them see that through his resources, we can overcome the disadvantage. This is actually one of my favorite passages of scripture, believe it or not, because it characterizes the vast majority of my life. I understand Peter's sentiment when he sees the man has compassion and the man looks at him and says, would you, would you help? Would you give me something? And Peter calls for his attention and the Holy Spirit moves personally inside of Peter, convicts him that today is a day of change. Today is a day of newness. Today is a day of life. Today is a day of restoration and we're going to go beyond everyone's expectations in a very real sense, even to those of us who read this as history. We're going to change this scenario and overcome the disadvantage. And so Peter openly and honestly says, I've quoted it out of a different translation, silver and gold. I haven't. Silver and gold, we, we don't simply have it. I, I do not have it. I cannot help. I cannot intervene. I cannot assist. I, I cannot do anything to change your situation. But here is what Jesus creates in this equation that up until this point in history has always stopped right there. I don't have the resources. You don't have the ability. None of us have anything that's available to make a difference. And it's not because in the first century AD they didn't have technology. It's because there have always been disadvantages in life that cannot be overcome. It's not because they were backward and we suddenly have it all together. 
It's just in this scenario, there was no hope. But Jesus had changed everything. His death on the cross a few weeks ago changed everything. His resurrection significantly changed everything. And in a moment of faith, Peter says, I don't have silver and gold. But what I do have, my faith in Jesus, my relationship with Jesus, the only thing I know that can possibly make a difference, I share with you. And in that moment, Peter's faith, John's faith, that man's faith, a good chance he knew that Peter and John hung out with Jesus and had seen him because he was there every day begging. He has faith. And Peter reaches down and tells him to stand in the name of Jesus. I don't know what any one of us is facing this week. And the reality is, for many of us, we don't even know what's facing this week. Tomorrow can give us information, give us insight into something that changes everything for the worst possible way. What I do know is Jesus is still in control. And Jesus still has the power to give life where death seems to live. Jesus still has the power to echo the sentiment of angels. He is not here. He is alive. And all of the power of the resurrection is ours as believers, ours as a church, and as a gathering of believers. I don't understand all the problems. I don't understand all the difficulties in the world. I can't give you explanations. And with all the literally hundreds of books I've read over my life, I still couldn't give you a good philosophical idea on all the problems and all the bad things that happen to amazing people. But this much I know is for centuries millenniums since creation and since our sin, which is what messed up everything, Jesus has been healing and redeeming, saving, rescuing those who will trust him. We can overcome that disadvantage. We can overcome the disheartment of not having any hope. The next section begins in verse 8. And in verse 8, we see the overcoming of that disheartenment. We see God's reassurance. Let me pick just a couple of excerpts here. The man starts, he jumps up, and he's, he's walking around for the first time ever, which is a little bit difficult. Physiologically, I can't explain it, but I know individuals that are in any way medically corrected in some disability, they have to learn it. At 41, he's learning what Sam will learn in the next three months at seven, eight, nine, ten months of a year. He's learning at 41, 42, 43, what all of us take for granted. What every single one of us rolled over to the side and stepped up out of bed with full expectation that every ligament, every muscle, every bone would function the way it's supposed to. 
Some of us are old enough that our anticipation was expecting a little bit of pain in the process. But nonetheless, we figured it worked. Now he's got to learn how to do it. And he jumps up and he starts to walk, something he's never done before. He enters the temple with him, something he's never done before because they wouldn't let him in the temple because disabilities like this were not considered something to be compassionate about. They were considered the result of sin, either his or his parents, in his case, since he was this way from birth. He was disqualified to go to church. It wasn't that he couldn't go to church because he can't climb the stairs that we're getting rid of in the new building. It's, It's not that he couldn't go to church because he couldn't roll up the slope that comes into the worship center, which there's no slope going into the new worship center. It's not that he couldn't go to church because he didn't have somebody to bring him and he didn't want to be dropped off outside in the heat or in the rain or the elements and he didn't have a nice portage cover to get dropped off at the front door. No, he couldn't go to church because they wouldn't let him because clearly there was sin in his life. He was crippled. But that's never the way God viewed it, never the way God saw it. God saw it as an opportunity to heal. And now for the first time in his life, he's entering the temple. Not the stairs outside where he's going to beg, but in the temple. He's walking, leaping, and praising God in verse 8. And everybody's watching. And they're filled with awe and astonishment at what happened to him. All the people were astonished, and literally as word spreads, and that utter astonishment, they run towards them to see. Now inside the temple, Solomon's colonnade is actually inside the temple, now to see this man. And not only is that man healed, but the hearts of the crowd and the people are healed. And faith begins to reign on this day when there was no faith when probably for the vast majority of the people attending and being there in that hour of prayer, it was a routine, it was a habit, it's something we'd ever done forever. That's what I love so much about your testimony, hope, is when you grow up with this stuff, sometimes you can let it become routine. But when it becomes your own, it's healing. It's resurrection all over again. And the awe and the astonishment is there. Because not only have you overcome the disadvantage, but you've overcome the disheartenment. God just did something amazing. And there's no reason to not, in the very smallest way, have some encouragement and some strength to believe he can do something again. I had the opportunity this weekend, excuse me, and I capture myself for just a minute, get my composure. Since I became your pastor in 2009, because I'm not a building kind of guy, some pastors are, and that's great, and they're really good at it, and I'm not one of them, you all know that. Um, So once again, I just want to praise and thank a very wonderful team who is capable of doing so many things that I'm not and I don't even want to do. And so they're so great at it. But from the very beginning, when I realized I was going to inherit this project, I started asking God above everything else. Do this in such a way 
that you get glory. And I know we say that at the ends of prayers, but I, I didn't mean it like the conclusion to a prayer. Yeah, God be glorified. I meant it do something that's so significant and so moving and so real that other people can find hope. I, I wanted God to do something more than a building. I understand, and we've shared that with you, and as we dismiss, our students are going to help us pass out um, even more information. I think it's six or seven pages long now, frequently asked questions, and, and some questions that nobody's asked, but we're answering them in case somebody decides to ask them. They're going to give that to everybody at the conclusion of the service in a moment, and, and you know, we want all that information, but I, I wanted something more than a building. I wanted a revival. I wanted life change that was so significant that nobody could deny this is God. This isn't strategy. This isn't planning. This isn't excessive wealth. This, this is God doing something only God can do. And I believe with all my heart a simple glance of the budget makes me feel real certain. I can say beyond any shadow of a doubt, silver and gold I don't have. But what we do have is the power that is in the name of Jesus. I have a, I have a lot of friends, actually, that I've made over the last 25 years north of here in a little tiny town that basically doesn't even exist. It's a this is the smallest black dot that you can get on any kind of map or GPS. God's been moving in that town. The church has grown beyond its capacity in that town. They all know who I am. It doesn't take too long to figure that out. And I was with a bunch of them this past weekend. And they asked me, how are you guys doing it? With all the cost, with all the construction needs, how are you doing it? They know we're not that much bigger. And they had technical questions about budget. But I spent about an hour, hour and a half, just telling them how God had been faithful. Now, God had healed divisiveness that, as one long-term member mentioned to me this past week, had characterized our church for generations. And it's just non-existent. It's just not there anymore. Everybody comes here because they want to be here and likes to be here. I got to tell them about how God's faithfulness, as I was told when I moved here, there's no deep pockets at First Baptist Church, which means nobody, there's no one person that anybody else is aware of in the town that can write a large check and we name the parking lot after you. If there is, and I don't know, um, you spell it F-I-R-S-T. <laughs> or you can go online right now. But I was convinced that God would be faithful. I've lived, my, I've lived the majority of my life in the inner city and impoverished communities. Um, 
And if I saw God be faithful where nothing existed, surely he could be faithful where things do exist. And that whole conversation went on longer than I've got time for. But I realized after we left, we had just gone in there for a second. It was at the, like most small towns, some of you grew up in small towns, you know, everything happens either at the feed store or at the, at the hardware store. This was at the hardware store. And I realized God was answering my prayer. And he's doing something here that only he can do. And already, the influence of that is beyond who we are. People tell me all the time how encouraged they are, how excited they are about the movie. People that are not a part of our church, how the community is looking forward to it. But now I talk to another town that they're up against hard issues the same way we were, building that's failing, doesn't have enough space, and other issues. And they saw in us and our faithfulness and our prayer to see God do something we couldn't do ourselves. Overcome the disadvantage. Overcome the disheartenment. And ultimately overcome any disbelief. The very last verse in chapter three says, God raised up his servant, referring to Jesus, and sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your evil ways. Because we repented in verse nine and because we turned back so that our sins could be wiped out, that seasons of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. God is doing this. And I, I, I struggle enough with the sarcasm to, to say, okay, well, we need to be really careful we don't forget that. Because we're in that season of refreshing. We're seeing new things. We're seeing God change lives. And we're seeing God enable us to change locations and change facilities, not for the glory or the recognition of First Baptist Church Tombaugh, but for the continuation of a 114-year journey where we have watched and shared God changing lives. And if we can encourage a little church out in the middle of the country that needs to do something and doesn't have the resources to do it and just needs to pray and wait and be faithful, then God's moving and working. If we can anticipate that what he's done in the past will happen now and in the future. That a life would be changed like hopes because her parents made this their home, made this the, the, the demonstration and application of their faith, then there is no reason for us to expect that that won't continue for generations that don't even exist yet. And one day she'll tell her parents, her children, this is what God did. And if it's anything but God, and we don't need to be a part of it. But God continues to reveal to me and continue to show me like he did in that conversation this weekend. He is doing it. And he has a purpose. And not just will we be changed, but others will be changed. This is so much more than a building. 
because it always has been. It's always been life-changing ministry to the glory of God. So as a church, we've overcome the disadvantages. As a church, we've had to overcome the disheartenment. As a church, we've had to even overcome disbelief and think that that day would never come, never happen. And we can do that as a church because every one of us individually have walked that same painful journey. But that painful journey ends with walking, leaping, and praising God. Trust Him. Trust Him as a group. Trust Him as individuals. Whatever you're facing right now in this moment, that can be healed by the power, the name of Jesus. His death and his resurrection was for you, for me, for all of us. Trust him.